0: This episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast is brought to you in part by iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving. At iFly Virginia Beach, we bring people together through the dream of flight. Visit our website at iflyvabeach.com to learn more about our group events to include leadership development, team building, and family fun. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast with me, your host, Bob Pizzini. Hopefully, you've listened to previous episodes of my podcast, and if you have, you know that I love to have guests on who not only bring great value to me and my organization, but I know they're going to bring great value to you and your organization. And today's guest is no exception. Today's guest is retired Admiral Paul Becker. Paul served the country faithfully in the intelligence community for 30 years before moving on and starting his own business, teaching and training in leadership and, uh, and he's a professor at the Naval Academy. And I'm just going to go ahead and read his bio. And then we're going to have a great discussion with, with Paul, with Admiral Becker. Paul Becker is a former Naval Intelligence Officer, senior executive, board member with a unique combination of business, military, cybersecurity, and leadership experience. As the CEO of the Becker T3 Group, he leverages an outstanding network of security leaders to provide an understanding of national security trends and activities. My graduate degree is national security, by the way. He, he successfully developed and implemented all-source business and intelligence strategies for large, diverse international teams. Paul serves in peace, crisis, and combat. Paul. Paul served in peace, crisis, and combat with the majority of assignments in the Pacific, Southwest Asia. I've been there for, for about five or six years. Europe and Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C., a true combat zone. He holds a current top-secret sensitive compartmentalized information security clearance. From 2016 through 2017, Paul led the presidential transition's intelligence community landing team work working closely with leaders from the Boston Consulting Group Go Bruins which provided policy input strategic guidance and operational counsel to a new administration specific military service includes director of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff where he was the principal intelligence and cybersecurity advisor to the chairman the US Pacific Command in Hawaii the international security assistance force joint command in afghanistan commanding officer of the D- department of defense's largest joint intelligence operations center at us central command in tampa and assistant naval naval attaché to france we're going to talk about what it's like to be the naval attaché to france It sure it just sounds cool So um, he successfully managed multi million dollar budgets, led large high performance teams through critical startups, organizational restructuring, and growth. Paul is the member of a NASDAQ listed corporate board, president of a nonprofit board, a member of several boards and advisors in his leadership and is a leadership professor at the U.S. Naval Academy. He holds a Master in Public Administration from Harvard's Kennedy School of Government and a Bachelor of Science from the U.S. Naval Academy. A dynamic public speaker and author, his articles and presentations have been widely published, almost their last paragraph. Rear Admiral Paul Becker is the recipient of the National Intelligence Community and Department of Defense's Distinguished Service Medals and the Ellis Island Medal of Honor. The Naval Intelligence Community recognized Rear Admiral Becker in 2016 by establishing the Teamwork, Tone, and Tenacity Leadership Award in his honor. And he calls that T3, and we're going to dig into that. Rear Admiral Paul Becker, welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. Thank you, Bob. Pleasure to be with you. <laughs> That's what everybody says. Um so interesting professional life, uh, incredible. And we're going to dive into a lot of these aspects. One thing I've learned um, through doing this podcast and through writing, writing my book is we become largely who we are in the first 18 years of our life. So can you tell us where you grew up and what your childhood was like? Sure. I grew up in the Bronx. I was
1: one of four boys. Uh, my dad was a cop. An NYPD cop, and my mom was a mom, and we lived in a two-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment uh, till I was nine years old. So I understood the value of teamwork uh, early <laughs> on, if, if for nothing else. You know, trying to get to that one uh, restroom. All four of my grandparents immigrated to the United States from Eastern Europe in between World War One and and World War Two. What uh, countries? Uh, combination of uh, Russia, Poland, Bielorussia, and Ukraine. Wow. Uh, the borders were rather porous back then, so these are Jewish Jewish immigrants, uh-huh. uh, and uh, they're lucky they made it out when they did. So my, my parents are both first-generation Americans. Okay. So I lived in the Bronx till I was nine, and then we moved to the suburbs of Long Island, a town called Deer Park. And I graduated from high school uh, there and uh, joined the Navy. The, entered the Naval Academy right after that.
0: That's so awesome. What? Why,
1: why the Navy? Is it? Uh, <laughs> uh, I had seen enough uh, television and big screen films of what the Army and the Marine Corps did in combat in, in World War II or Korea. And I said that's really dangerous. Uh, but there was this uh, Lieutenant Commander Quinton McHale uh, who seemed to be having a good time in the South Pacific You're talking about with his Navy. little Navy. <laughs> and uh, he was still in the war, uh-huh. right? but there was some hijinks as well. Yeah. And uh, I thought that'd be a good uh, thing to pursue if I've ever needed. And then when my father explained the fi- the Becker family financial facts of life to me and ask which service academy I'd be applying to, it was an easy choice to go Navy. Uh, thank goodness I was accepted. I'm not sure I would be nowadays. Uh, but uh, I had good athletics, good civic involvement, good extracurricular activities, good sports and uh is a happy uh, a happy location for
0: me? Yeah, that's great. So, so uh, Paul is referring to McHale's Navy for our, our listeners who are probably fifty five and younger. Uh, you can check out those episodes on YouTube. It's a very very entertaining show. I watched it as a kid as well. Um, did you have job a job or jobs in high school? Uh, I had two jobs in high school.
1: Uh, I worked in a Baskin Robbins ice cream parlor. Uh, in 10th to 12th grade, and I was also a little league umpire. Wow. At $5 a game, I learned a lot uh, about uh, maintaining a, a positive outlook or tone, uh, as I'd call it, along the way. And it gave me some uh, good exposure, right, to some aggressive crowds. Right. Mostly coaches and parents. Of course. Yeah. And it was my I loved doing that. It was five dollars a game, which was good money back in the 70s. Uh-huh. And uh, my backup plan, if I didn't get into the Naval Academy, was to go to a state school in New York and then go down to umpire school in Florida.
0: Wow. Be I, a... I really
1: admired them because they played it fair. Uh,
0: that is cool. So so your ulterior plan was to be a professional uh, baseball umpire. Yes. Yeah, well, that's good. good to have a plan B, but plan A worked out for you pretty well.
1: But there were some there were some uh, carryover skills that I was able to use later on as an intel officer. It's, it's call them as you see them, right? <laughs> that, that's, uh, yeah, that's the umpire's motto. Balls and strikes. Balls, yeah. strikes, and outs. When, when a boss would ask you, what do you think of this situation? As an intel professional, uh, well, here's what I know or don't know. Here's what I think, uh, perhaps, but it's here's how I see it. They're, they're asking you for your advice, right? As an intel professional, uh, you're not asked to deliver the facts. Facts may be part of what you discuss, uh-huh. but it's what you, what you think. You know what happened here.
0: Okay. Uh, okay. And it was a valuable uh, skill set. Okay. So, so, so some processing, um, some some uh, uh, analysis mm-hmm. of events or or uh, information. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, how did you select Intel? Uh, Or why? Yeah, I wanted to go to flight
1: school. Uh, The Navy told me I I had uh, one too many surgeries along the way, so uh, you'll become an intel officer uh, instead. Uh, That didn't make me happy uh, at first. Uh, I had to to channel my inner stoic (laughs) and uh, do the best with the situation as was presented to me. There are things you can control and things you can't control. Uh, I teach the Stoics now to Midshipmen. Uh-huh. Uh, if they've not had uh, this experience yet, it's, it's a valuable lesson. And there are some great leadership role models who were, you know, uh, at the uh, apex, you
0: know, of, of what a Stoic, you know, believed. Uh, can, can you just for the listeners, can you define Stoic real quick?
1: Yeah. Uh, a, uh, the Stoics were a school of philosophy from ancient Greece— uh, founded uh, by a former slave who definitely knew what he could control and not control, later gained his freedom named Epictetus. And it's uh, a school of philosophy that uh, you should focus on what you can control versus what you can't control. Okay. And take ownership uh, of what you can control, so a lot of similarities to elevating your your leadership. <laughs> Thank you uh, for that reference to well. my book,
0: there, folks. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh,
1: probably the most famous uh, of those Stoics was Marcus Aurelius. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, there are uh, podcasts and websites from uh, daily Stoic philosophers uh, for the here and now. Probably the most famous military uh, adherent uh, to the Stoic philosophy. In our lifetimes, uh, was uh, Vice Admiral James Stockdale, ah. Congress uh, the Medal of Honor winner mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the senior prisoner of war mm-hmm. in uh, the Hanoi Hilton during the Vietnam era. Mm-hmm. And uh, Admiral Stockdale learned about the Stoics as a master student, as a commander in the Navy, uh, but he had to apply it. Apply it, as he, he said to himself, as he was shot down over Vietnam. Um, I'm leaving the world of technology, and I'm entering the world of Epictetus, the founder of the Stoic philosophy. So, wow. focus on what I
0: can control, not on what I can't control. That is probably the most extreme, I guess, example of of Stoicism, of Stoicism, of Stoicism, uh, to be to to only control what you can control as a prisoner of war. Wow. And
1: and he was willing to give his life. I mean, this includes uh, you can control the taking of your own life. And when he felt uh, he was perilously close to dishonoring uh, his flag, his country, his fellow prisoners, he tried to commit suicide rather than betray them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. And uh, the Vietnamese, thankfully, uh, revived him. But they changed their whole paradigm of torture uh, and deprivation. Uh, when they realized that this man was willing to sacrifice that much for what he believed in, uh, that uh, they started treating American prisoners of war different because of him, a real servant leader. I'm sure we'll get to different types sure. of leadership sure. and, and what is leadership, but uh, Stockdale, the ultimate uh, servant leader, but uh, based in the school of the Stoics.
0: Wow. Wow. So, man, we just went... Um, Off script. <laughs> do you, do you, no, no. It's This is fascinating, though, and this is why I love to do this podcast and have these discussions and share this incredible information. So... Uh, Baseball umpire in high school, Baskin-Robbins in high school, any inspirational leaders? Uh, You said you were athletic. What was your sport? Uh, I ran.
1: I was a good uh, runner. I played everything. Uh, I was average height, average speed. Uh, so I I wasn't uh, I got varsity letters in high school that doesn't translate to NCAA yeah <laughs> uh, level sports okay. uh, but it made me realize that uh, there are things I can control yeah right uh, you know sense of humor right intellect uh, personality right uh, sure yeah you know, these are things uh, that I could control and cultivate and that served me well over time versus. Yeah, I'm not Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah. Right? You know, I'm not tall. <laughs> I'm not good looking. Can't throw a football a uh, mile know, and a half. <laughs> you know, I don't have you know supreme athletic yeah. skills. Uh, but I've got some skills. Yeah. All right. So, so it was a, a focus at not being uh, a gifted athlete actually played to my advantage to being a good, well-rounded naval officer.
0: Sure. Well, I, I think what you just said is critical too. You recognize your strengths. And capitalized on them, and recognized your weaknesses, and didn't waste a lot of time, um, uh, you know, crying over the fact that you're not going to uh, be an NCAA Division One player. So, so no, that that's critical. So, from either high school jobs or uh, sports, uh, are there are, were there leaders in your past that stand out to you? People that you reflect back on today?
1: Yeah, I. A combination of fictional leaders and uh, real life leaders. Uh, At a uh, typical parents, you know, for the 60s and 70s, perhaps, they'd sit my brothers and I down in front of the television set and they'd babysit us by saying, Don't move. (laughs) (laughs) So I saw a lot of TV. Sure. Right. So, uh, you know, John Wayne movies, whether in the West or, you know, whether, you know, playing uh, someone uh, in the military. Okay. Uh You know, Gregory Peck and Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. And and these type of cinematic, charismatic leaders. Then out uh, getting into the theaters, later 60s, 70s, the, the Clint Eastwoods uh and so but i'm also a, a a fan of history and uh they could be statesmen uh or stateswomen mm-hmm. uh leaders but to start with the statesmen the uh the mount rushmore of of our leaders right uh, roosevelt and jefferson and and washington right uh, these are people you know that i admired historically that uh sure. put the weight of a country at times yeah. on their back uh, then once I became a, a, an older teen and a, into my younger 20s and became more well-read, uh, I realized you didn't have to be a, a charismatic, good-looking movie star or president to be a leader, right? There's, there's Harriet Tubman. You know, Absolutely. who I, I learned about and admired. Susan B. Anthony, Margaret Thatcher, Jackie Robinson, Martin Luther King, right? the An inclusive stretch, you know, of the American experience. Yeah. And uh, these are people that uh, I still uh, read about, think of,
0: admire, and write about and uh, and as well. And talk about, obviously. Uh, those are great examples, too, but I like the way you said the American experience, uh, because that's so key to enabling people like that to rise above and, and, and allow their true talents to come out and benefit other people. Um, along those lines, uh, what, how does Paul Becker define the word leadership?
1: Yeah, uh, I'll start with uh, it's a process. It's not an act. Mm -hmm. Some people are called leaders. That's fine. It's just a a label. It's not a position. It's a process of getting a group of people uh, to achieve a common, preferably positive goal. There's (laughs) academic debate on, well, was this evil person a leader? Well, this person motivated a group of people to achieve evil. It's just not my definition. Okay. So since you asked what's my definition, yeah. I'll, I'll put in a, a with a positive goal. Okay. Okay. Uh, so a process to get a group of people uh, to achieve a common goal. Now, there are a lot of subsets of that. That's, that's rather umbrella-type uh, statement. Uh-huh. Well, sure. Well, how uh, do you do it? You know, that's the what a a leader does and, you know, how do you do it? And uh, 30 years in the military, you know, years before that, admiring uh, fictional or real life uh, sports heroes, uh, military heroes along the way, uh, I kept notes. Uh, I have notebooks full of this was good.
0: Your little green military flip book?
1: (laughs) We all have them in the military and I've got a stack of them still at home. Uh, This was not good. And uh, you put that together and I I had time to read quite a bit of it, uh, you know, during uh, some medical maladies uh, towards the end of my career. And the... uh, The three big bins that I found the great leaders had compared to just the good leaders is that they were exceptional in these areas, teamwork, tone, attitude or culture or atmosphere, and tenacity, right? Admittedly, there's some alliteration here, right? There are other synonyms that go along with them, but – A leader should try and make their comments and uh, actions repeatable, memorable, and alliteration's a part of that. So uh, teamwork, tone, tenacity, T3, uh, it's short, it's memorable, it's actionable, similar to what we knew in uniform as commander's intent, Mm -hmm. right? When the poo hits the fan... You don't have time to read the checklist of what am I supposed to do here? It's what am I supposed to remember? There's training, there's education, and there's action involved. And I thought T3, teamwork, tone, tenacity, short, actionable, memorable leadership guidance.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh, So your experience kind of uh, allowed you to – to centralize or to consolidate really through those three words, teamwork, tone, and tenacity. And and, and for you, everything kind of uh, flows from there.
1: The, these are big bins. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's, there's a lot involved in teamwork. And uh, I picture them as a triangle, right? And uh, the best leaders need a shape. If you just have two out of the three, any two – it's not a figure. It's just two lines, and they'll collapse on themselves. Mm-hmm. You need some structure. Uh, it's not always an equilateral triangle either. I've uh, entered organizations where their teamwork is exceptional, you know, but their tone stinks, uh-huh. right? No one likes each other. You know, they they're not friendly, but yeah. they they seem to get along at some point, and yeah. and they're awful hardworking. So I don't have to reemphasize the need for tenacity you know and uh grit and uh, resolve they've got that uh-huh. already but l- let's work on how we can improve the interpersonal relationships and and this is a key uh this is a key trait of a leader
0: for sure, for sure.
1: Uh, you know you emphasize it in in your book uh, as well is a leader needs to know what's the big priority right uh You don't do as a leader what you're best at. There's a reason you you may be good at X, Y, and Z. But in the situation that you're in, if you're involved with a group of people and a process to try and get them to achieve a goal, you may be good at something, but it's not applicable here. So you need to identify the key tasks. You need to prioritize that and develop a plan, even though you may not have familiarity uh, to get after it. And that's uh, leaders recognize what needs to be done and, and get after that.
0: Yeah. You mentioned uh, towards the end of your career that you face some med- medical challenges. Uh, can you share that with us? Sure. Uh,
1: I'm a cancer patient and uh, I'm a cancer survivor. In 2014, I was the intel officer or the J2 for the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the Pentagon. A few months earlier, I had just run the Honolulu Marathon. I was fit, and I thought I was healthy, but I had a knee pain that just wasn't going away. And like many military personnel, my idea of medicine was Motrin, Tylenol, ice, and heat.
0: (laughs) You left Uh, beer out of that,
1: but yeah. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) The fifth uh, element. I finally got an MRI and an X ray. I went to see the orthopedic uh, doctor as a follow on, and, and in the room was him. Uh, with him was uh, another doctor. He introduced him as uh, my colleague, the orthopedic oncologist. Uh, I know what that meant. He said, Let's take a look at your X ray. And uh, I had a tumor that extended probably about three quarters of my right femur. Wow. Uh, and they said, this is an indication, you know, of bone marrow cancer. We're going to need to take a biopsy to be sure. I try and diffuse situations with humor. It's my default, probably from reading too many mad magazines when I was growing up. I said, is there any chance the x-ray tech could have spilled mayonnaise from his hamburger? And, you know, no, there's, we don't develop film that way yeah. anymore. Uh, biopsy, okay, you have bone marrow cancer. It's rather late staged on a scale of uh, one to four, you're at a four. And my only thought was, who came up with this facocta system of one through four? In America, we go to 10. Yeah. Everything's based <laughs> on 10. People's looks, David Letterman's list of funny things. There you go. Uh, four. He goes, well, the Europeans, actually.
0: Uh, well, that explains it, yeah. you know,
1: there. Yeah. Uh, so, starting in January of 2015, I went through surgeries to save my legs, save my life. I had two cardiac events, not because of cholesterol or stress, but my body was under such shock. I went through stem cell transplant, multiple uh, other procedures, and uh, thank God, and uh, you know, thank family and thank fitness, you know, that I entered the fray with. Uh, I came out uh, okay at the end. That's and the Navy offered me the chance to get back in the ring, but uh, that was my V8 moment. Uh, there's a time for everyone to leave the service, yeah, whenever that was. It happens, and that was my time in 2016. Uh, I wasn't medically discharged so. I'm stable. Uh, I'm not, remission is not the right word, but it's, uh, there's no cure for multiple myeloma or bone marrow cancer. Okay. There is a treatment, and I get those treatments three times a month, and, you know... Uh, I've said it several times because I'm a a believer that thank God here I am. Yeah,
0: yeah. So you you are currently receiving those treatments? Treatments? Yes, normally
1: at Walter Reed and Bethesda, but while I'm here, I've got an away treatment regime at uh, Portsmouth Portsmouth Naval. Oh, that's great.
0: That's great. Um, The uh, so so you're maintaining that treatment? Are you are you back to running? I can't. Okay, uh, any longer. Okay, I, I
1: still have that I have a titanium plate that holds together my femur. Gotcha. And uh, what what
0: what did you replace that with? Clearly, you're in still in great shape, so you're you're doing something.
1: Uh, I swim for an hour, probably six days a week. And <laughs> Swimming's uh, the uh, best thing. Uh, yeah. and, and probably biking, you know, the uh, the other spare time. Yeah. OK. All
0: right. Yeah. Swimming is uh, just incredible. It's a full body workout every single time. It's cardio. I think it's one of the best things that people can do. Wow. Um, And and while we're talking about that, I know your brother served this nation honorably uh, and he's no longer with us. Can you tell us about about him and about that?
1: Yeah, very proud of my younger brother, Adam, one of my two younger brothers. Uh, Adam, like like many younger brothers, uh, said, you know, I'm going to go on a different course from you, the role model older brother. Uh There's no need for me to get a commission. I'm just going to enlist in the military and I'll become an officer on my own. And he was right. And he enlisted in the Marine Corps and uh, he was a military policeman and he was an embassy security guard on a couple of different assignments, Cyprus and uh, Malaysia. He was an elite athlete, Bob. Let me tell you what kind of elite athlete he was. Uh, After uh, he came in second in the Malaysian National Triathlon when he was a marine security guard in Kuala Lumpur. Wow! Then he got out of the of the military uh, for a while from active duty before he came back in as a reservist, and. The Marine Corps would only recall him to active duty for the inter service athletic championships. So he was on the Marine Corps cross country team. He was on the Marine Corps swim team. He was on the Marine Corps triathlon team. Wow. And uh, he was always, uh, he would always place, you know, in these big events. So he was that kind of an elite athlete. And uh, we only served together once, and it it was was in Afghanistan. Afghanistan. And it was in 2009 to 2010.
0: Okay. I think you posted a picture of you and him in Afghanistan, right? Yeah, it was a very
1: uh, happy moment. Uh, I was in uh, Kabul, the capital, northeastern part of the country. He was in Kandahar, south-central part of the country. Uh, But I would travel the country as the intel officer for the ISAF, uh, International Security Assistance Force Joint Command. So one trip, uh, we timed it. We were together together took a picture, It uh, made my dad very happy
0: oh, right. Right. Uh, to that's see awesome. his
1: uh, boys out sure. there. Sure.
0: Oh, that's incredible. Okay. Um, and then he had, he developed, uh, w- w- what was his malady that uh, ultimately?
1: He, he, because he was an elite athlete, he had some outpatient knee surgery as a uh, Department of Defense civilian working in England uh, a couple of years ago. And there were just complications from the surgery. And, uh, you know, he expired uh, there in England. And as devastating, devastating as during peak COVID, uh, couldn't travel yeah. uh, to be, uh, you know, with his widow. yeah. Uh, but uh, I had a nice network of former uh, British battle buddies and shipmates uh, that could attend. And uh, they filmed a memorial service. He's since uh, been in earned uh, in Arlington Cemetery, oh, and yeah. uh, I can visit him several times a year. Yeah, well,
0: that's that's great. Um, what a what a humbling experience it is to to visit Arlington. And unfortunately, I've got several teammates there as well. And um, uh, I just the honor and respect that the country pays to its service members uh, by by entombment or burial at Arlington is. Um,
1: It's my favorite of the national monuments, and I've been uh, in and out of D.C. over the years when people ask, hey, old guy, what's your favorite D.C. monument? I only got an an afternoon or something. Go to Arlington Cemetery because – it's the people's monument. I mean, they're all people's Monument, but yeah. these are real people. Yeah. Now, you may know some of them. Yeah. They may be from your town or you may know these, you know, historic figures. That's
0: incredible. Uh, yeah. And
1: uh, that's worth your time. Yeah, so
0: folks, please That's
1: the American experience.
0: Yeah, uh, that's uh wow. If you're listening in folks and you heard what Paul just said and you're in DC and you have time to see one major site or one major monument, please make it the Arlington National Cemetery. With that, we are going to take a break. Paul is a good capitalist, and so am I. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Paul's consulting work and a little bit more on T3. Back in a minute. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. Um, Paul served our country in the intelligence community uh, in the U.S. Navy for 30 years. And uh, upon completion of his career, he continued to teach and to educate and to focus on leadership. Paul, tell us a little bit about your transition and what you're doing with your T3 framework. Yeah. Uh,
1: I was sure when I left the Navy, I did not want to work for another defense industrial giant. A lot of senior military personnel, officer and enlisted, uh, enter, enter that uh, defense, defense industrial space. Right. And they've. it's the nature of our system. They're needed there. Right. Right. They've got expertise. It's lucrative,
0: you know, frankly. Yeah. yeah. Very low risk, uh, good job security. But,
1: but uh, uh, I just worked for a defense industrial giant for 30 years. I didn't want to do it for another 30 years and I have nothing against – uh, those that do mm-hmm. it just uh, I wanted to challenge myself uh, and set off on some new adventures. Uh, so I thought about uh, you know what gets me excited, right? Uh, like in sports, you can't teach speed uh, in the leadership business, you can't teach enthusiasm <laughs> what What enthused me? Uh, what motivated me, what inspired me. And it was the study and the practice of leadership. So uh, there are plenty of role models uh, I've had of uh, uh, former military personnel that talked about lessons they learned in uniform that apply to the corporate sector as well. So I started the Becker T3 group, Teamwork, Tone, Tenacity, as a consultancy uh with a focus on uh, corporate clients and also medical clients uh, because of my unique medical uh, background, both as a patient, right uh, and as a senior officer and a leader in the day, uh, a lot in common with senior medical personnel on uh, how you uh, collect, analyze, disseminate, ah. you know, and share <laughs> news, you know with your uh, patients, right?
0: F three instead
1: EAD. of your water fight, war fighters. Uh-huh. Right? Uh So uh, started that, and we lived in uh, Alexandria, uh, Virginia, as a suburb of of Washington D.C. And uh, in addition to uh, consulting companies in the intelligence community, in the corporate sector, in the Department of Defense, in the medical sphere, I started. Uh, teaching leadership at the University of Virginia's Batten School of Leadership and Public Policy. And it was a circuitous route to get there. I was on a business trip uh, to uh, Tokyo from uh, Dulles Airport in Washington, D.C. There's a direct flight. It's a long flight. Wow. You may have taken it in the day. It's 14 hours, Uh point to point. And sitting next to me was the dean uh, of the school. And 14 (laughs) hours is plenty of – you could take an eight-hour sleep and still have six hours to talk to the the fellow next to you. And we got to talking about sports, politics, media, entertainment, leadership, national security affairs, and uh, particularly about the leadership. He said, uh, as we parted our ways, would you mind coming to give a lecture uh, during lunchtime? We have a series in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. I said, uh, with pleasure. Uh, thank you, an honor. So I did that uh, that fall. Afterwards, he hosted me to lunch and he said, could you turn that lecture into a semester-long course? Wow. Because we're a school of leadership and these are lessons that these master students need to hear and we don't have any former military officers on our faculty. I said, are you sure you people usually ask me to speak less, Dean, not more. But, but yes, is my answer. I can do this. Uh-huh. You're and like I, me. You can talk till tomorrow. I developed my own <laughs> curriculum and I taught there for three years until he wasn't the dean of the school, right? He wasn't the dean of the University of Virginia. He was the dean of the Batten School of Leadership and Public Policy. So like in Ryder Cup Golf, the captain gets a certain number of select picks for their staff as an adjunct uh-huh. uh, professor. I'm not a PhD-type uh, professor. So there was a new dean, and new dean selects uh, their, their team. Their uh, team. Team. Yeah. I, I get it. Uh, just so happened, uh, uh, one of my uh, colleagues, an old shipmate from Bahrain, a retired Navy SEAL named Roger Herbert, uh, was a leadership professor at the Naval Academy at this point. He said, Hey, I heard uh, you're no longer at, at the Batten School in Charlottesville. Would you like to teach at the Naval Academy? And uh, this is, I'm now starting my fourth full year teaching leadership to the youngsters or the sophomores at the Naval Academy. Uh, The short short name of the course is called Ethics. The longer name is Ethics and Moral Development for Naval Leaders.
0: Wow, that's incredible. And did you live in
1: Annapolis already? No, we lived in Alexandria. But during COVID, I realized for my clients uh, that I was consulting with, uh, either they didn't want to or they could not, even if they wanted to, meet with people in person. Uh, my wife and I have lived in Annapolis before. It's a little greener. It's a little bluer than Northern Virginia. Mm-hmm. It's a happier place for me, sure. an Academy grad as well. So sure. we moved, you know, when the roads were empty, uh, <laughs> you know, when everyone was uh, staying home uh we uh we we kind of uh, did it yourself moved to annapolis and uh we're very happy to be back there
0: yeah that's great well it is a wonderful place especially i would say spring and fall um winters can be kind of like they are here in virginia beach we're coming to you by the way from the the broadcast studios uh located and on the top floor uh at ifly virginia beach right down here at the oceanfront in virginia beach virginia and um, Paul did not get a chance to fly. Normally, at this point in the discussion, I ask you how your flight experience was. But, uh, but Paul's uh, time here is brief, and, and we are actually um, completely sold out, completely booked. But we'll get you in another time.
1: Yeah, that's a good metric yeah. that you're completely
0: booked, but uh, rain, rain check, check accepted. accepted. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so how long have you been adjunct with the—is it adjunct with the Naval Academy? An, an ad, you know, uh, adjunct
1: professor— Yeah, Uh, yeah. The the mids often. What do we call you, sir? You know, uh, know, well, there's a range of options, whatever you're comfortable, but an adjunct professor. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. And I was adjunct with American Military University for about three years. And uh, the the last class I actually had, uh, it was like mid classes when I got deployed to Iraq. And uh, so I had to wrap that thing up between firefights. It was uh, pretty interesting, but but we got it done.
1: We adjunct professors, we have better stories than some of those stodgy <laughs> uh, old PhD professors.
0: Yeah, yeah and, and
1: true enough, they they, they, they take, take a, a very, very academic, academic you know sure. approach. I mean, Stephen Covey or Angela Duckworth, you yeah, know, they, they, know, they, they have academic approaches to leadership sure. topics, right? But but so does uh, General yeah. Stan, Stan McChrystal or General Colin Powell. Right. It's, it's a different practitioner's view.
0: Sure. You know, sure. And, of it. And, and they should be different. And that's kind of one of the things that I write about is, is I don't think I don't think any two leaders should be the exact same because we're human beings and the human there's a human component to how we apply our leadership. And, and to your point of of stoic stoic stoicism, <laughs> um, if you identify your internal strengths, then you can use those appropriately.
1: Yeah, a couple of thoughts there. Uh, there's an exercise I use with the, some of my audiences, uh, and I have them fill in the blank. Great leaders, not just leaders, think about fictional, real life. Great leaders fill in, and that's it. One word. You can only use one word. Ah. You know, or I'll give them the R. Great leaders are, uh, for example, uh, empathetic. Uh, great leaders are listeners. You know, great leaders are communicators. Uh, but one of the one of the ones that gets the most play is great leaders are self-aware. Oh, yeah. I give them credit for the dash line. I said only one word, but you know yeah. I'll give you credit for the hyphen <laughs> with self-aware. But you, you brought up something else. Uh, great leaders are genuine right? You talk about it in your book. You have to own your brand. You own your brand, elevate your leadership. I own my brand, teamwork, tone, tenacity. Uh, you can't teach right? being genuine, mm-hmm. right? Just like height yeah. <laughs> or speed, right? You can't teach it, enthusiasm. Uh, and in the military, your subordinates, We'll find out pretty quick if you're a phony.
0: Absolutely. And in the private sector. Uh,
1: Exactly. And uh, they'll forgive you either side if you're contrite, sincere. Hey, I I made a a, a horrible mistake here. I'm sorry about that. We're going to need to retool and do this again. I'm sorry it cost us time and resources. Yeah, that happens. That's real life. Mm -hmm. But if you try and obfuscate and, you know, Cast blame and flip flip it some other direction. You're done in the leadership. You're business. done.
0: Everybody sees it, and and people who work for you can and will get you fired. <laughs> yeah, two two things on on
1: how you'll lose a group of people trying to achieve a common goal. Right? Uh, one is if you're not uh, if you're not genuine. Right. They'll they'll see through it. Uh, and uh, the other thing uh, is if you, you don't. don't care right? If, yeah. if you don't care about them personally, collectively, they'll see through that too. And your leadership journey is done.
0: For sure, there's the saying, nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. You know, one of those uh, one of those fancy plays there. Um, you said something else that when you're talking about these PhDs and this kind of, you know, this very academic approach to leadership, th- there's a place for that. Um, and, w- and what I write about and what I talk about, and more importantly, what my life's experience was, um, there's formal education, there's experience and then there's all these training events that we attend that are you know don't fall in the larger category of formal education but but they are uh, coordinated very targeted events training events so I, I I think there's a triad of education training and most importantly experience and it takes the proper amount of all three of those things for a leader to really be self-aware uh, for a leader to understand where they are in their leadership journey and what their responsibility is for those that they're leading at that moment, it, it takes those three things. It takes the right mix of education, experience, and training.
1: Uh, I love that model. I like things in threes. There are actual cognitive <laughs> studies that prove right the human mind. Uh huh. You know, works best in memorizing things. And uh, recalling things in three, yeah, right. So whether uh, it's that paradigm, this one, I, I just like the shape, right? It's it's the simple, uh, A circle is a simple closed shape, but a square or anything else has got four. Three is is easier, right? Simplicity is the height of sophistication, you know, said Da Vinci. I
0: love that. Yeah. Simplicity is the height of sophistication, said Da Vinci. There's a clip right there. <laughs>
1: well, I wanted to get in an Italian citation, you know, here, you know, with uh, someone like you. And but I, I also like the shape of the triangle. Uh, the classic, uh, you know, shape of a triangle is the pyramid, right? The Great Pyramid, and a leadership diagram. Okay, uh, the leader's here, and here's the rest of the organization, and there are more of you know followers, and that I get it. The servant leader. The the leader who cares the most about everyone else, same shape. Flip it on its head. Sure. The leader's still at the point. There's only you can only have uh, one. Yeah, you could have more, but, but you, there are fewer. Uh, but the whole balance of the organization now pivots on the leader, right? Uh, it goes unstable if the leader isn't up to the task, whereas the uh, classic pyramid shape, even if the leader's not getting it done, uh, the organization may survive. But if you've got a bad leader in the servant leader model, yeah, it'll – Tip, Tip on, on its side, side. yeah. Uh, not be
0: it, That's you know. I obviously um, I'm, I'm familiar with servant leadership, and I actually have my own definition and my own thoughts on that. But but the but the summary there is, I believe it is a critical component uh, of, of leadership. But but and I've I've heard the analogy of flipping that triangle upside down. But I've never heard a servant leader uh, who's the pivotal point. In the organization, I just haven't heard it put that way. I really like that.
1: And, and there are role models, you know, across the spectrum of human experience, right? From Mother Teresa and Gandhi,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, to Petty Officer Michael Mansoor throwing himself a Navy SEAL, mm-hmm. uh, you know, killed in action on a hand grenade, but saving his fellow SEALs in combat uh, in Iraq, mm-hmm. you know, as the, the leader, you know, of a group of, of men, you know, engaged in conflict. Right, there are examples everywhere.
0: Yeah, there are, and um, I've had uh, some wonderful seals uh, on this show on the Elevate Your Leadership podcast, and um, you know the the discussions you and I were talking earlier about. um, I'm going to paraphrase, but your words were you you were talking about kind of the imperfection of leadership, and can can you rehash that real quick? Uh, I said
1: the the goal goal is progress as a leader. Uh, not perfection, uh, tough, tough to, to find, find the perfect, perfect leader,
0: sure. there are some, some traits that
1: you'd like to borrow from a, an amalgam of leaders. That's what my green notebooks, yeah, you know, right. uh, are are for,, uh, but it's the progress, you know, not the perfection. I'm a believer uh, that leaders are not born, right? They are taught sure and and some are born with some more natural skills. Back to my early TV and movie hero, tall, good-looking mm-hmm. men. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a small subset you know, of leaders, right? Uh, but you know, what can you learn from watching others, right? What could I learn from, even as a Yankee fan growing up, I learned a lot from Cal Ripken Jr. of the Orioles uh, regarding tenacity, Right, sure. even as an American, as I I started learning about the Pacific as a more senior naval officer, uh, I learned a lot from Lee Kuan Yew, kind of the founding father of Singapore, their first prime minister. They're George Washington, you know, uh, if you will. Uh-huh. So you you can uh, put these together, and uh, I don't know that. These people were born leaders, right? They uh, exercised teamwork, tone, tenacity, and may not have been a perfect equilateral triangle as well, right? But progress towards that end, and you talk talk about about it as as one of your five principal traits, you know, of elevating your leadership is being a a learner and being part of a learning organization, lifelong learning, sure. And you know, I'm I'm always reading, and it, it may be short reading on LinkedIn. It may be sure. It may be long reading, you know, from friends of mine uh-huh. you know, who have written books and you know, they're all valuable and exactly adding to that database.
0: See, that open mindedness is critical and that's one of the things in my workshops and in, in my consulting work and even sometimes in keynotes. Uh, I emphasize, uh, I have a set of ground rules, you know, and I I open up with ground rules and I emphasize that open-mindedness. It doesn't matter who you are or how much you've achieved. If you want to make gains, you just have to leave the ego behind, have that open mind. And And the awakening happens now, and the gain will happen over time if you let it. You know, you just have to allow that. Okay. um, Can you tell us a little bit about the work you're doing now? And, you know, besides uh, adjunct at the Naval Academy, you're working with— corporations and individuals. And just tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, uh, a couple of different things. I'm the president of a nonprofit board, a a unique uh, private public partnership called the Friends of the Naval Academy's Jewish Chapel. When I was a midshipman, 1979 to 1983, uh, there was no Jewish chapel. There were no rabbis uh, stationed there. Uh, Religion's important to me. And uh, since then, There have been rabbis assigned, you know, for about the hundred or so Jewish midshipmen, and a private uh, fundraising effort uh, gifted uh, the monies to the Department of the Navy to build a a Jewish chapel, and it's a world class facility. It was dedicated in 2005. Uh, and it's on the academy grounds, but it's it's a unique uh, private-public partnership. So I'm uh, the president of a board of directors of uh, mostly former uh, Naval Academy graduates, not necessarily Jewish, that understand the midshipman experience, mm-hmm. a lot of knowledge with the religious experience. And our goal is to enhance the religious and cultural lives of Jewish midshipmen. Okay. It's not religious programming. That's chaplain's business. Okay. But where are the resource sponsors and the good ideas people that, you know, rabbi, uh, you know, maybe a trip to Israel this spring break. Uh, well, that's expensive. Well, we'll resource it. Yeah. All right. That that type wow. uh, uh, of uh, work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's very rewarding and, uh, you know, it keeps me on the Naval Academy yard at night in addition to my daytime
0: teaching. Uh, in the corporate sector— Just real quick, oh, real yeah. quick. on. Um, so I've been to Israel twice uh, and you were talking about the, um, the Singaporean president. Is, yeah. is that what they call him, the president? Uh, he was the prime minister. Prime minister. But as you, were, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about gold in my ear. Yeah, great leader. First prime minister of the state of Israel. Yes, and uh, somebody first v- female prime fir- minister. Fr- and somebody who, oh yeah, Ben Gurion, I think, was right, the right. was the yeah first female, but somebody who had tremendous influence. Um, and, and
1: she was a wartime prime minister. You know, as well the uh, the seventy three
0: yeah yeah Arab Israeli war yeah so so I just wanted uh, to th- hit hit that you you dropped some pretty big names uh, in terms of leadership and I thought Golda Meir was one okay so back to what yeah, you're
1: doing yeah she's a she's a great example uh, so in the corporate sector I'm on several uh, boards of advisors one corporate boards of director. A nuance between some fiduciary responsibility to shareholders. This is a nasdaq listed cyber security and it company uh, and the others in the defense or Intel community space and uh, my national security connections uh, come in uh, significantly there where I can uh, connect people uh, with rights points of contact. I can share experiences uh, from uh, how it's been done in the past. I keep my ear to the ground uh, in the defense sector and in the intel community sector through professional organizations that there may be opportunities here. Uh, and, uh, I also provide a lot of, uh, what we'd call, uh, oh, it's, it's the same in the military or, or private sector risk management. Sure. You know, here are the pros, here are the cons. Let, let's look at it, uh, through a methodic approach. You know, uh, what do we think is the better course of action? As, Absolutely. As typically would lay out, well, here's do nothing, you know, here's go to thermonuclear war or the equivalent in business mm-hmm. or- Maybe we should do something in between. And and the answer may be one extreme or the other. Sure. Uh, more often than not, it migrates, you know, towards the center. Yeah. Uh, but uh, having uh, an experienced voice of diverse uh, uh, professional experiences at the table, sure. hey, how does the military handle this, sure. you know, type event? Ah,
0: I have some thoughts
1: on this. And it, 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 it adds value to the uh to the business discussions.
0: Yeah, and I, I will tell you as a business owner and somebody with 40 people on my team, 40 people who rely on me to make good decisions, um, I, I rely on their input. You know, I really have to hear from all my team members. Uh, and And in the private sector, <clears throat> my private sector experience anyway, when I contrast that against my military experience, there's so many similarities. And, and courses of action, it, when we have something to solve in this organization, we lay out courses of action. We, you know, here's my intent, here's what we're trying to accomplish. And um, risk analysis, absolutely. In, in the private sector, oftentimes if we're down, we say we're down month on month or year on year, um, first thing we look at is marketing. And more often than not, we're going to drop more dollars into marketing um, or retool something within the marketing department. That's kind of our that's kind of our you know, that's our 16 inch gun, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And and every every department within my organization, we all have to move forward together uh, and understand what it is everybody's trying to achieve.
1: Yeah. Great leaders. Right. Back to the drill. Great leaders are uh, courageous. Uh, They're they're not not foolhardy, foolhardy, right? right? That's recklessness. You know, cowardice is the other end of the spectrum,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. right? Uh, But they're not adverse to to taking risk. You know, if it's prudent risk, right? Admiral Nimitz told admirals uh, Fletcher and Spruance going into the decisive battle of Midway in June of 1942, you're encouraged to take prudent risk. Right. But we only had three carriers. And Nimitz put them all in play, and he thought it was prudent risk based on the value of the intelligence uh, uh, that his team <laughs> was providing him. So, yeah, uh, great leaders are courageous, and uh, history, in modern times, uh, they're replete with examples. Uh, Joshua Chamberlain, out of ammunition on Little Round Top at the Battle of Gettysburg, Fix bayonets, you know, and and charged and stunned, you know, the advancing enemy and turned the tide of that battle, which could have outflanked, you know, the whole Union army. Uh, Farragut. Uh, Going into Mobile Bay, Uh same war, Uh Uh, you know, it's a different scenario down in Mobile Bay, literally lashed with ropes uh, to get above the, you've heard the fog of war, the the gun smoke Uh uh, was, you know, uh, at sea level. He needed to get above it and damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead, Uh right? Wow. Uh, Wow. Not foolhardy, you know, but his survey of the scene, his intel prep. Uh, yeah, of the, the battle space, space. Uh, he thought, "Let's go for it." Yeah, risk taking, yeah. courageous.
0: Wow, great examples, incredible examples.
1: And you, you highlight this in your book, which I love. Uh, you know, uh, difference uh, between uh, leadership and uh, management. Right, right. There, are, I have my own definition of those as well. You know what my leadership one is? Managers, Managers do, do things, things the same. And they can be very good at it. Mm -hmm. We need, we all need good managers. You manage things, you do things the same. Leaders in that context do things different, right? We haven't tried this before. Right. Let's experiment here prudently. Sure. That's leadership, right? Managers don't do that. Right. Managers just, I got the spreadsheet. You're giving me a hundred dollars. It's Don't spend $101. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. A leader will say, why can't we have $120? And let me go back, let me go back to the source and see if I can get it because uh, a leader's principal job, right? Identify the big task. We've talked about that already. Yeah. Uh, but one of the key tasks overlooked for a leader is leaders can only leaders. Not, the The rank and file of an organization may establish relationships internal, but it's up to the leader, I think, to establish relationships extra beyond the organization. Oh, and absolutely. The results of, of the primary, relationships. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Is trust, and if you trust each other, you're willing to give someone the benefit of the doubt if you disagree with them. We've yeah. had, per, and you look at the state of modern American politics, you know, or media. And no one trusts each other. That's right. And you know, uh, the the relationships <laughs> may be very thin, but there's no trust, and as a result, there's no loyalty. Right. If, if, if I trust someone, but I have a disagreement with them, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt if we see things different ways, may try it, may just agree to disagree, but it's respectful and it's courteous. Yep. Uh, and the byproduct of trust is loyalty. And you've been in units, some more loyal than others, but the best- ships, squadrons, commands I was ever a part of were the ones that were most loyal to each other. They weren't the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, right? You know, the the best titles, the best sunglasses, but they were the best they had the best loyalty
0: yeah. to each other. And that's PhD level. That's an, you know teamwork. Yeah, that's an incredible observation, uh, and it is. And, and when you see it, and, and that's what you're talking about. When you see it, it's you're almost in awe. It's incredible. And I would go back to the EOD teams that I've been on over the course of my career, um, and and you know I say the teams. I'm talking tactical level, right? So at the tactical level, where we might want to kill each other because we disagree over something, that loyalty uh, supersedes.
1: The Wright brothers to each other. It helps that they were, you know, blood brothers. Yeah. Lewis and Clark, you know, and their uh, core of discovery, you know, going into the Louisiana territory. Yeah. Wow. These are examples. And McChrystal talks, General McChrystal talks about it in his book, Team of Teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, He took over command of the Joint Special Operations Command. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you have you know, uh, Green Berets, Special Forces, Navy SEALs, Marine Raiders, Air Force, you know, uh, you know, soft pilots. Right. It didn't mean they trusted each other. And he inherited an organization where that was an area that they needed to work uh, together. They built that trust and, and exercised a whole bunch of different things that made that work. And the result in the long run was loyalty and, you know, arguably the most elite you know, team, elite fighting force team, you know, that uh, the U.S. has uh, ever seen.
0: Yeah, under JSOC. Absolutely. Fascinating, fascinating discussion. Folks, if you are enjoying this discussion with uh, U.S. Navy Admiral Paul Becker, retired, uh, and I hope you are because I am truly a fascinating discussion, uh, and you want to hear more great leadership discussions, tune in to my YouTube channel. Elevate Your Leadership, same, same as the title of the podcast, same as the title of my book, Elevate Your Leadership. Tune into my YouTube channel, and you'll find many other fascinating discussions with leaders and people who have done some pretty amazing things throughout the course of their life. Um, Paul, is there, a, is there a book at some point uh, authored by Admiral Paul Becker?
1: Yeah, uh, I expect it to be out in 2024. Okay. Uh and uh, not surprisingly, teamwork tone tenacity uh will be in the title and okay. will sh- will shape it and and these are leadership lessons I learned in uniform but they apply you know to the private and uh public sector. Sure. Uh as well. Yeah. And there are inspirational uh T3 uh, examples, both real and fictional. I write about them on a near daily basis on LinkedIn, Instagram, Instagram Facebook, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, some are shorter than others. You know, Twitter.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, but X X. Uh, now I, I'm so yesterday.
1: You know, here. Yeah. Yeah, so. Get with
0: the times, Admiral. Uh, yeah. uh,
1: so uh, I'm all I uh, I'm always on the lookout, and sometimes. Uh, I write about leaders who inspire and motivate. And they're everywhere uh, I, sports, politics, media, entertainment. Like last week, Tony Bennett mm-hmm. uh, passed away,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a World War II Army veteran, by, uh, by the way. Talk about teamwork. He joined the greatest team ever, right? You know, the US uh, military. But he also had some great teamworks. With Lady Gaga and you know and and other artists <laughs> sure, like that, sure, and he, was, he was fabulously his tone optimistic. You know, one of his hit songs, "The Best Is Yet to Come."
0: Yeah, and, wow. And,
1: and his tenacity—he charted records right on the Billboard's uh, tops uh, over. Six decades. Right. You know, so that's resolve and staying power. So there's an example. So, uh, you know, God rest his soul. He passed away, you know, just recently Yeah, just last so, week. Hey, that's today's uh, teamwork tone tenacity lesson. Let's take a look at, at Tony Bennett. Sure right, uh, you know whether it may be it may be happy Gilmore since you're such a Boston Bruins fan right <laughs> you know now i I mentioned my irreverent sense of humor from reading uh, too many mad magazines, but uh happy, you know for example, team player with chubbs, his caddy, he's a member of his he's, grandma is you know his family is <laughs> everything right his tone he needed to he realized he needed to calm down his uh you know anger management uh-huh. right uh, and uh, his tenacity he stuck with it right till he got his uh putting game you know in, in there so you can now i'm gonna at, go home
0: and watch that movie tonight <laughs> it's
1: epic yeah yeah well wow. so there are leadership lessons everywhere you know Practically every day of the year, I write uh, on these topics.
0: Wow, that's incredible. That's um, so short. Sh- some short, some long.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, uh, some uh, short stories, some long stories, uh, books. You you mentioned, you know, things uh, I read. You know, great lessons. I, I mentioned General McChrystal's team of teams. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's uh, you know, from a tone perspective, General Colin Powell. Uh, you know, uh, his uh, bu- he's written books on leadership. Also, his autobiography is a great lesson in tone. Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In, mm-hmm. you know, from Facebook, you know, a real groundbreaker right. there. Uh, and, and then Tenacity, uh, loads of examples from... World War II submarine heroes uh, like uh, Eugene Flukey, a, a Medal of Honor winner, to Ernest Shackleton, whose famous expedition to the Antarctic, sure. uh, you know, ice wrecked, yeah. uh, you know, in the early 20th century, and he brought every one of his crew after months of being ice wrecked in Antarctica. Yeah, that's
0: an incredible story. Actually, I I, I heard or, or read somewhere that some of his crew, when when it was obvious they were going to return to society, they didn't want to. They were enjoying the experience with Shackleton.
1: And, uh, yeah, uh, and uh, I mentioned uh, Admiral Stockdale earlier, mm-hmm. Medal of Honor winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh There's a collection of his essays and speeches called Thoughts of a Philosophic Fighter Pilot. Wow. Uh, And it's just that. It's a collection of his essays uh, and speeches. And uh, it's uh, for any uh, organization, uh, leader of high-performing teams, this is one uh, to take uh, Admiral Stockdale's lessons to heart. And and what – could you say the title of that book again? Yeah, Thoughts, Thoughts of <laughs> a Philosophic Fighter Pilot.
0: Thoughts of a Philosophic Fighter Pilot. Folks – And that's what he
1: was. He was a Fire fighter pilot, pilot shot down over Vietnam uh-huh. and uh, you know, be, became the leader by seniority but also <laughs> – by his actions mm-hmm. right there was no cognitive dissonance some leaders will say one thing and do another thing that's you know textbook you know uh, academic cognitive dissonance uh-huh. when, when when they, they match, match right that's a person of integrity in my book yeah integrity in the sense that the words and the actions are integrated there's no say do mismatch mhm those are leaders that people will follow. That's
0: right? uh, that,
1: that's, in, that's a person of integrity. Right? Doesn't matter your background. A person of integrity, and uh, Stockdale was certainly one of them. But you could think of you know many examples.
0: Sure. But you just listed probably three or four books um, that are of great value, and. Um, um, I know I'm going to get Admiral Stockdale's book. That'll be next on my list. I've got probably six to go before I get to it, um, but that's going to be next on my list. Paul, what uh, what what a fascinating discussion. And um, you and I are both so bought into... You know the, the kind of 360 omnidirectional view and approach to leadership that we could talk until tomorrow, and um, <clears throat> and uh, we, after the podcast we might just do that. But um, but what haven't I asked you that you think is of great value uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, it's uh, an emphasis that uh, you can find leadership examples to motivate, inspire you, to improve your performance. Uh, all the time. Uh, so, uh, in, in no particular order, you know, I jotted down a, a list of, uh, you know, examples of, boy, what does this person have? Think to yourself. And you could read about it, you know, from uh, my website, which is the Becker t 3 groupcom Okay. There's a blog there where these are entered, but on a near daily basis, I have a bias, I have to say, towards putting in naval. Uh, heroes, <laughs> right? So it could be uh, Stockdale I mentioned. There's Jacques Cousteau, there's John my hero, Jacques Cousteau, John Paul Jones. there's yeah. Admiral Hyman Rickover, the father of our nuclear Navy. Uh-huh. Uh there are business people. There's Liz Claiborne and SD. Lauder and Elon Musk and Steve jobs and and all of them are not the perfect, you know, teamwork tone tenacity. Jobs in particular. Mm-hmm. he was not someone that was your buddy. Uh, but he was driven, you know, Thomas Edison was the same way historically, mm-hmm. stay out of his way yeah, <laughs> at right. times, but there was no doubt he had a vision and he was tireless and he knew how to build networks to get to where he was going, right? Uh, but I wouldn't say he was an empathetic, you know, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> or char- or charismatic. Yeah, that's right. Uh uh, you know, so I, I've talked about some other uh, political and, and statesman type leaders. So push back from the table every now and then and say, if I'm looking for a leadership role model, you know, what did I see today or who do I admire and, and what do they have? Mm-hmm. And it's simple for me to put it into the bins of teamwork, tone, tenacity. And these are people who I still uh, derive my motivation and inspiration from.
0: Ah, that's great. That's great. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the Elevate Your Leadership podcast and sharing your wisdom, your experience, and your energy. You know, people tell me I'm very energetic, and um, and I'm telling you, you are very energetic. And uh, congratulations on your success. Ooh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, real quick again, how can people find you? Yeah, uh, my website, uh,
1: thebeckert3group.com. Uh an email directly paul at the becker t3group.com okay and my websites uh, you could find me on linkedin uh, paul becker or the t3group.com uh, same with uh, twitter instagram and facebook
0: we got it paul becker thank you so much
1: thank you bob